Jesus Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. He has risen indeed. If I have not met you, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here and I love this day. There are many passages of scripture that we could read and reflect on and respond to on this wonderful Easter morning. But today, for a few moments that we have together, let's turn together in our Bibles to John chapter 20. John 20. In this chapter of scripture, we read the Apostle John's firsthand eyewitness account of the morning that changed everything. The morning when Jesus Christ triumphed over sin and death by rising to life. It is not an overstatement to say that the resurrection of Christ is the most important component of the Christian faith. The resurrection of Christ is the most important component of the Christian faith. In fact, the Bible itself states this in 1 Corinthians 15. It says this, if Jesus is not risen and alive and soon to return, then Jesus is not who he said he was and Jesus is not who scripture claims him to be. And if Jesus is not risen, and therefore if Jesus not who, is not who he says he is and who scripture claims him to be, then all of Christianity is complete hogwash. The Bible itself says that. The Bible itself says that if Jesus is not risen, then you and I right now, and all worshipers, and all prayer warriors, and all pastors who are speaking the word of God, right? We're, we are the most duped and pitiful people in the world. Scripture says that of you and I, if Jesus is not risen, this is pointless. The Bible itself, God's word, goes all or nothing on the actual physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. It reminds me on a much lesser scale, okay, follow me on that. On a much lesser scale, it reminds me of the story of the baseball legend. Yes, there's a sports illustration here. Baseball legend Babe Ruth in the fifth inning of game three of the 1932 World Series. Some of you were around back then, but uh, not all of us. In game, game three, fifth inning, World Series, Babe Ruth had two strikes against him and things weren't looking good. And he could have just kept his head down and quietly taken the next pitch, but he didn't. Instead, he went all or nothing for the entire stadium to see, he raised his hand and he pointed to the left field bleachers indicating precisely where he was going to hit the next pitch. And gosh darn it, he did. He hit the next pitch right to the left field bleachers in a home run heard round the world on an infinitely grander scale, God's word does similarly. God's word goes 
all or nothing on this single event of the resurrection of Christ. God's word states that if Jesus is not written, if he is not risen, you and I have no reason to be here. And so, without any further ado, let's read the Apostle John's first-hand eyewitness account of the morning that changed everything. Our passage is going to be John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. We'll only be here for a few more hours as we discuss that. But I'm going to actually read through verse 18. I want, I want to get the whole... The, the, the whole first half of this here. So I'd invite you to follow along or listen. Listen. The Apostle John's eyewitness account of the resurrection. John 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who'd reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he, Jesus, must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do, do, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, before the sun had even risen that day, your son rose to life, just as the scriptures foretold. And that means that Jesus, Jesus, you are alive right now. You are who you say you are. 
You have done what you said you would do, and you will soon return, just as you said you would. And so, this morning, by your Holy Spirit, give us, every one of us, ears to hear, and eyes to see, and hearts to believe, for the glory of your name and the joy of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 1, we're told it was the first day of the week. Bible scholars whom I trust are quite convinced that Jesus was crucified according to the Jewish calendar on Yom Shishi Nisan 15 AD 33. What? (laughs) Well, let me just say this. If that date is correct and I believe it is, the first day of the week that is referred to here at the beginning of verse 1 would have been Yom Rishon, Nisan 17, A.D. 33. Sunday, April 5th, A.D. 33. Now, now, let's not get weird about this. The Bible nowhere explicitly gives us that date. Let's not get weird and dogmatic about it. But the reason I propose to you a date is to help us remember that these events that we read in Scripture, they're not abstract. They're not obscure theoretical occurrences. These events, such as an actual woman named Mary approaching the actual tomb of Jesus on the first day of the actual week that followed Jesus' actual crucifixion, you guys, these events happened in real time and history. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she also must have seen that Jesus' body was missing because that's what she reports to Peter and John in verse 2. But let's camp out on verse 1 for just a few minutes. Can you imagine how Mary must have felt? It's awesome that God chose her to be the one to see this first. I love it. Mary had a hard life. I love that Mary is recognized in this way. But can we imagine how she felt? Just days earlier, Friday afternoon, Jesus' body had been lowered from the cross and wrapped in burial linens and laid inside this very tomb that she was standing outside of behind a 700-pound stone that would have required a team of people to move. And now, I mean, that was just Sunday, and now, or that was just Friday, now on Sunday, before the day was even getting started, not only had the, t- uh, the, 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 the stone been rolled away, But the body of Mary's teacher, her Lord, her friend, was gone. Apart from the folded burial linens, the tomb was completely empty. And it was really empty. This fact that the tomb was empty 
has been nearly universally accepted throughout history, even by critics of Christianity. Even critics of Christianity have accepted and do accept that the tomb must have been empty. And so the whole world is scrambling to come up with, well, why was it empty? What happened? I share this almost every Easter morning, but here are three of the most popular explanations that are given. Okay, all right, all right, Christians. So the tomb was empty, but that's because the Sanhedrin or the Romans took Jesus' body. That's why it's empty. Well, that theory does not hold water. And here's why. Because the Sanhedrin and the Romans both wanted Christianity to fizzle out and die. They wanted it to be vanquished. If the Sanhedrin or the Romans had taken Jesus' body, they could have simply shown the body and proved that Jesus is not alive, and that would have put an immediate end to Christianity then and there. Other critics say this, okay, okay, Christians, the tomb was empty, we give you that, but that's because thieves broke in and took Jesus' body and then kept it a secret. These are the, the top proposals. But this doesn't hold water either. Do you know how much money the Sanhedrin and the Romans would have been willing to pay for a body so that they could prove that Jesus was not risen? No true thief in the world would have stolen the body of Christ and simply kept it a secret. No, not to mention, in verse five, we're told that all of the expensive burial linens, they were left there in the tomb. Those would have been worth their weight in gold. No thief broke in and stole the body and kept it completely secret. Other critics say this, and this is the most untenable of all the proposals. Okay, okay, all right, Christians. The tomb was empty, that much is true, but it's because Jesus' disciples took the body. Well, no, that, that, that one holds the least amount of water because every one of the disciples except John went on to die brutal deaths, excruciating executions because they were proclaiming that Jesus had risen. John wasn't executed because he survived being boiled alive. And then he was exiled to the island of Patmos to shut him up about the resurrection. Here's the point. If the disciples had taken Jesus' body, if they had any reason to suspect that the resurrection was a hoax, they wouldn't have been willing to endure such brutal treatment as that. April fools, right? Just kidding, Jesus didn't raise. No, no, no. Look at what they went through insisting that Jesus had risen and revealed himself to them. Now, something needs to be said here. I know I'm kind of already getting off track and we're just going to abandon the notes for the rest of the time here. No, 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 no. Something needs to be said here. Something needs to be said. Ever since Jesus' tomb was first discovered to be empty, believers of the resurrection 
have been more opposed, more hated, more slandered, and more attacked than any other faith group in the world. In the past two years alone, Forbes and Cato and the Washington Examiner and Pew Research and even the BBC have all deemed Christianity to be the most persecuted religion in the whole world. Why do you think that is? Because the prince of darkness, the prince of the power of this world, that slimy serpent all the way back in the Garden of Eden, he really, really, really does not want us to believe and to preach that Jesus is alive. Because... Because of God's promise in Romans 10, 9. If you're a visitor, listen to this. If you don't hear anything else this morning, listen to this. This is a promise in Romans 10, 9. And it's why that slimy serpent does not want us to be proclaiming that Jesus is alive. Because of this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved forever. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you simply believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. On the first day of that week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb so she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John. And Mary said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went with the other disciple. I love this. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. <laughs> Remember with me, we're reading John's account here, right? And he's just really interested in letting us know that he and Peter, they both ran to the tomb, but one of them got there first and it wasn't Peter. <laughs> I love that. We can see his personality shining through in this, in this gospel account. Verse five, and John, stooping to look in, saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go into the tomb. Now, 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 now pause for a second, because when, when most of us picture the tomb in our minds, we picture this big old doorway with this massive rolling stone in the side of a hill or a mountain, but we need to tweak that picture a bit because archaeologists in Jerusalem have confirmed precisely what John describes here. John was not super tall. He still had to stoop to peek into the tomb because the doorway of this kind of tomb that would have been owned by Joseph of Arimathea, the doorway of this particular tomb would have only been three feet high by two and a half feet wide, just wide enough to carry in a body. And so stooping, like stooping to look down inside it, John saw the linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go into the tomb. He had to get low. 
But Peter did go right inside. I love this. He probably got down on his hands and knees and scurried in. Verse six, this is so consistent with what we know about Peter. I mean, because when Peter saw Jesus walking on the water, Peter's like, done, I'm going. When, when Peter saw that the, you know, the, the Roman guard was coming to get Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's like, ah, whack, chops off the guy's ear, right? Like Peter is, Peter is this kind of guy, ready, fire, and, and then aim, right? Like, right? Like he just go, go, go. So John, he's stooping down. He's looking in the tomb. He can see Jesus isn't in there. Peter's like, heck yeah, I'm going right in. He goes right in. When Simon Peter came, following John, he went right into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths and the face cloth that had been folded up. Then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, he also went in and when John saw the tomb was actually totally, completely empty, he believed because all of a sudden the scriptures made sense to him. Jesus had to rise. He couldn't not rise. He, the Savior, the Lord, the sent Messiah, he had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. I love how that's, how this section, and they, they just, they went back home. What we don't see here is that they then, days later, begin to turn the world upside down, and we are still in the ripple of it today. Look at how many of us are gathered here to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And so let me ask you a couple questions. Where is to be found a reason to believe all of God's word? And where is to be found a reason to trust God's every last promise but the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Where is to be found a sure sign that God has accepted Jesus' death as payment for our sin? Where is to be found a sure sign that we, underneath the blood of the Lamb by faith, have been and will forever be justified? But the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is what we celebrate this morning, where is to be found fortification. The fortification that I personally just need so much of right now as I watch the news and as I see the tide of our country and our culture and I see the fire that is burning and brewing against Christians left and right, where is to be found the fortification we so desperately need in this world that God is able to bring forth victory from defeat, light from darkness, beauty from ashes, restoration from wreckage, healing from hurt, completion from toil, peace from disruption, hope from despair, joy from mourning, gladness from gloom, and glory from the grave. Where is to be found that kind of fortification but the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Where is to be found the first fruits of what you and I 
you and I who are in Christ by faith, where is to be found the first fruits of what we will look like when Christ returns and consummates God's kingdom here on earth? Where is to be found a first fruit of that's what will, you know what, we're going to look exactly like this in our resurrected bodies. Where is that to be found but in the actual, physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? We are not going to be, you and I, floating orbs with halos on our heads. Yuck! We are people, we are humans flesh and blood, and so we will be just as Jesus was, glorified, yes, but physical, bodily, actual, recognizable, touchable. I mean, he ate fish. Let me allegorize just in this last bit here. Let me allegorize quickly the three postures that we see, three reactions. With Mary in verse 1, what do we see Mary doing? This is, think allegory here. It's kind of s- symbolically. She, she, she sees that the tomb is empty and that's all. That, that's it. Just a glimpse. John, he, ha- he stoops down. Let me get a little bit, let me get a little deeper of a look in here. Oh yeah, okay, tomb is empty. And then Peter, Peter stampedes right in. Right? I do think that there are more ways that we could say it, but this is often the way that we come at Christ. Some of us, we just get a little tiny, well, that's all I need. He's Lord and Savior, hallelujah, amen, I trust him. His life, death, and resurrection, all that was needed for me to be reconciled to, the God, to God the Father for eternity, to have an abundant and fulfilled life right now, that's all I need, just a glimpse, that's it. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe all you have needed to hear this morning was that passage from Romans chapter 10, verse 9, and I'm looking for it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, maybe some of us are Johns. We're, we need to, well, let's take a little bit more of a look, right? Well, scan this. Read it cover to cover. Pull a believer next to you after this gathering and even start pelting them with questions and investigate a little tiny bit because you know what? This word never once contradicts. Not ever, not once. And in it, from cover to cover, it is singing the song of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. Now some of us could be Peter's and we want to punch it out. We want to go, we want to go right in. We want to start moving the linens around and exploring all the, yeah, yeah, do that. And like Pastor Seth said, you're welcome to join us here on a Sunday morning, Wednesday night. You're welcome to meet you for for coffee in between. Whatever the case may be, get on and really do the investigating and the digging for you too. For Mary and John and Peter, for you too. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Go after it. Be a Mary be a John, be a Peter, whatever it is, I urge you today, trust, trust in the person and completed work of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, the only hope that you have of peace in the now and hope for tomorrow. 
the eternal weight of glory that will outshine even the hardest of days that we have here is found in the resurrected Son of God, Jesus Christ. Let's pray, let's give thanks, and then we'll continue to worship. Well, Father, I'll pray just again kind of how I opened. Before the sun rose that day, your son had already risen. And it is according to scripture, to the T. And that means, what that means is that Jesus, you are alive right now. You are Lord and Savior. And you have done what you said you would do. You have nailed our every sin to the cross of Calvary. And you took it to the tomb that had our name on it. We rightly deserve to be laid there because we are all sinners, fallen short of the glory of God. But when you raised, you left our sin dead in the tomb. And you now being alive say, follow me, trust me, and I will give you resurrection life. And you will soon return just as you've promised you would. And so Lord, I pray today, that you would have given and would now give ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to believe for the glory of your great name and the joy of our hearts in Jesus' name, amen.